the last year since I came out of the hospital, I haven't been able to get my breathing below this point. It's like practicing Zen 101. But Friday, Tony went away with his friends and the house was empty. I thought it was a good time to meditate. No vibes coming up from downstairs. And I broke through. And it was so exquisite. And now I can say from experience, put your mind and your breath in the horror. The horror is the space just below your belly button, about the size of your hand. Keep your attention focused there. You're going to jump out. Just gently bring yourself back. There's where you're going to find the solution. There's where you're going to find peace. There's where you find the Buddha nature. Now give me a topic. Abandonment. Abandonment. The only abandonment that can take place is the abandonment of yourself. The true self is omnipresent is never absent. You're always constantly sitting in the middle of that. But ego wants to try and create a self that is separate from the manifestation of the absolute. Hmm? Everything is a function of the absolute. Everything. There is nothing that is not a function of the absolute. When you walk down the street and step in a dog turd, that's a function of the absolute. And yet we try to separate ourselves and create a distinct and separate self. That is the aband abandonment. Hmm? Creating ideas of who you are, what you are. Recently with watching a movie about Leonard Cohen and his relationship with Suzaki Roshi. And there's the scene where Leonard's talking with Suzaki, and Suzaki says, <laughs> I'm not Japanese, you not Jewish. All these labels we put on ourselves separate ourselves from our true function, and that's the basic abandonment. And that's all I have to say on that. Stop smiling. No. <laughs> Keep smiling. No. <laughs> Give me another topic. Love. I don't like that topic. That word's been so adulterated, it has no meaning anymore. Hmm? Often, it doesn't mean love, it means lust. Hmm? It's misused, it's totally misused. Oh, I love your new hairdo. Hmm? 
Love means letting go of the sense of self that is fictitious and manifesting your real self. Tom Rooney was talking recently about Thich Nhat Hanh saying, the best kind of love is to present yourself fully. That's real love, not holding anything back, including your irritation and anger. Being straightforward, direct, open, and honest. Not trying to adjust and fit in and be politically correct. I would, if there is anything such as original sin, it's this new business of being politically correct. Mm -hmm. Just manifest your true self. There's nothing there to be ashamed of, nothing there that you have to hide. There's nothing about you that you have to be ashamed of, that you have to hide. Nothing. You and the Buddha are not separate. You are a living Buddha, and you don't want to accept that. The ego doesn't want you to accept that. That just as you are, you're okay. Suzaki mm. used to talk a lot about perfect and imperfect and I don't know why but all of a sudden he stopped it and went back to the traditional teachings of samsara and nirvana when you talk about the perfect and the imperfect just like samsara and nirvana they are functioning together. I'm a fine example of perfect and imperfect. Hmm? This body is rapidly deteriorating. That would appear to be the imperfect. And yet at the same time, I'm putting out the essence of the Buddhist teachings, the perfect. They live together. Now, Someone could attack that and say the fact that you're falling apart and deteriorating is perfect because that's what you're supposed to do. You're born, you're a child, you're a young person, you're an adult, then you become an old person and you get sick and you die. And that's all perfect. That's the way it's designed. Nobody's going to change that. Watching me deteriorate should become part of your practice. There was a period in the 60s and 70s where there were books by Carlos Castaneda. They were very popular. Trungpa didn't like them, but I thought they were very good. One book was Hmm? The power of silence. The power of silence. That's the book I was talking about. And in it, he constantly says, use death as an ally. And that doesn't make sense. But it does if you really look into it. If you look at death, then a lot of things that you're so torn up and troubled by become very less important. Hmm? 
whether you have the right hairdo or not in the face of death means nothing. Tony had a friend who was dying of AIDS, and his main concern was that his bathroom wasn't clean and people would make fun of him. I, I don't think that's that important when you're dying, whether your bathroom's very clean or not. Mm. View things from the position of death, and a lot of the troubles seem to disappear. Mm. Make death your ally, not the enemy. They were being going through the jungle and being followed by a jaguar. And the teacher kept saying, why are you mad at the jaguar? The jaguar is doing what is natural. It's natural for him to go and find something to eat. When we look very delicious, there's no reason to be mad at the jaguar. What we have to do is outmaneuver him, outthink him. Don't let that enemy take hold of your life and rule it. When I was teaching at St. Ignatius, I put that teaching out that there is no enemy, which is a basic Buddhist teaching. And I got a lot of flack, particularly from Second World War veterans. Oh, the enemy, and I had to kill the enemy. I said, all right, well, let's not use the Buddhist teaching. Let's use the Christian teaching of love your enemy. Thich Nhat Hanh did the same thing. He said, if you love your enemy, then there is no enemy. And the two teachings become one. The only enemy is attempting to create a self that is fixed and permanent. The Buddhist idea is that a sense of self can never be constructed. There will be never a sense that you have of yourself that is satisfactory. You're always going to be finding something wrong with it. Let go of creating a sense of self. Now, that's three topics. That's all you're getting for today. The funny thing about my friend Richie with the bathroom was when I went into his apartment after he died to get some of my stuff he left me. Um, his bathroom, you could eat off the floor. That's how clean it was. And it was immaculately clean. And I was like, wow. It's all perception that makes us go to these lengths. Because he's worried about his unclean bathroom, and it's cleaner than a hospital bathroom. And it's like immaculate. And um, that subject of abandonment and love, interesting because, again, their perception is what's really the thing. Obviously, there's separation within no separation, and there's comings and goings of our lovers, our friends, the people we care about. So why does it hurt us so much when we have lovers, friends, etc., who don't parents, who don't respond the way we want them to? We feel abandoned. We don't feel loved because our perception says that we're not getting what we want from them. So what is that all about? Well, you answered yourself. We're not getting what we want. The world is not behaving according to our dictates. And yet we don't just let people do whatever they want if we care about them. We try to prompt them to do the right thing for themselves to a certain extent. Some people have interventions for their alcoholic relatives. Your students, you push to the nth degree to break through. What? <laughs> In other words, you're not just rolling over and saying, these things can come and go without my feelings and attentions. Something's guiding us to do that. What is that? 
Hatte ich eine Parade mit? So, do you feel abandoned when your students don't perform the way you want them to? I don't feel abandoned. I just punch them in the nose and tell them they're assholes. <laughs> and, and yet, you know, we're making a joke out of it, but that's what's happening. That certain parts of us do feel like we're betrayed because... Well, that's because of the fact that there is no separation. That's a fundamental teaching that you really have to get a hold of. There is no separation. So it boils back to what we want to do for ourselves within a situation to get our lovers, friends, students, people to behave the way we want them to behave. Well, maybe you're not supposed to get them to behave the way you want them to behave. Then why do you try to teach us to be liberated? I can't help myself. <laughs> so there is a difference then between an enlightened approach to manipulation and an unenlightened approach. There's a thing in Zen called the Zen sickness. And that's if you've been involved with Zen for a long time and decide to remove yourself from the practice, you're going to develop a Zen sickness. And that's a sickness that the medical doctors can't do anything about. The only cure for that Zen sickness is to get back into the practice. The only way to practice Zen is wholeheartedly. Anything that you're holding back, trying to keep uninvolved, is going to delay your practice. You can't have a part-time practice. It has to be wholehearted. Hmm? You have to put everything you've got into the practice. We saw a movie last night where the girlfriend tries to trick the boyfriend to stick it around by pretending she's pregnant, and then he goes into her bathroom and finds like a evidence of a period going on, and he confronts her and freaks out that she lied to him. And she said, I just wanted you to stay with me. I didn't want you to go away. Mm. What's the difference between that kind of manipulation within, quote-unquote, love, abandonment, relationships, and the manipulation that you provide us under an enlightened sense where you are trying to get us to come back to the Zen healing, the way that you're describing? What is the difference between those kind of manipulations? Mine's better than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, is one full of suffering, one isn't? What is the deal? One is free of suffering. But do you suffer in the process? One of the difficulties, and this was interesting, I was having trouble with my son, and I read an article by Dato Roshu, who's dead. So I went to his center in Woodstock, and they had a lot of gatekeepers. So I pulled out the magic card and said, I'm an abbot of the Zen center. So then I got to see him. <laughs> we had a nice talk, sat down for a while, and I talked about the trouble I'm having with my son. He says, wait a minute. I'm a single parent of two teenage boys, and I don't have a clue as to what to do with them. <laughs> that, that wasn't the answer I wanted, but it settled things for me. Hmm? What was your question? Do you suffer in the process of trying to get us to come That's over the to the That's the last shot. Time? As I was leaving, he says, don't forget, as a Zen teacher, you pick up the student's stuff. So when does it become enough? Mm -hmm. as, as our position, each of us as Zen teachers, each of us in our own life, manipulating what, and I'm not putting a negative term on that, manipulating to bring people to our side, to work with us, to make things right. When does it become... Try that all over again. We're all manipulating. 
yes. whether we're doing it for yes. Sen, for getting the boyfriend to stick around, whatever it is. When does it become a problem for us? When it becomes a problem? And we decide that by our own suffering. I think your own discomfort will tell you. Mm. It isn't confusing. So it's not a moral thing to manipulate. No. It's not a matter of morality. When we're talking in San Zen, if I point something out, I'm not being moralistic. I'm simply saying, look, this is what you're doing. Mm. If you want to go on doing it, please go right on doing it. The guy I have every Monday, he's absolutely arrogant and resistant. <laughs> and I said, that's fine. Go on with what you're doing and call me from the hospital. May I ask a favor? No. Could you define what you mean by manipulate? Mm. I mean that when we reach for a glass of water or manipulating a glass, manipulating our mouth, we're manipulating the water into our mouth, meaning that every single thing I'm doing is a manipulation of the environment. And I'm trying to understand where it becomes suffering and where it doesn't. And it was, when I heard the lady's question about abandonment, I immediately thought of love. <laughs> I immediately thought of what Dean brought up. I immediately thought of me with my friend Tony from work, who's straight and married and unavailable. But I play subtle little games, little manipulations, hoping, praying one day, maybe we could have some kind of relationship, some sexual relationship. And I'm doing these manipulations, and I'm creating certain sufferings within myself, and for him as well, because I put stress and pressure that he can feel and I can feel. Now, do I want to continue with those games in my life or not? But it's also happening, I see, with you, with your students. It's obvious that you manipulate us, push us, insult us, get us to, in a way that helps break our ego, the insult is to the ego. But you are manipulating us. And I'm going to myself, when, does it, when is it smart to stop? When is it suffering? I've often said that every one of you is a Zen teacher. The issue is, what are you teaching? Now, You're all teaching something. For my own, to give myself credit too, there's nothing wrong with me being gay. There's nothing wrong with me loving that straight man. He sends out signals that says he likes me too. So manipulations are going on. It's a matter of judgments, not judgments. The question is, when does the suffering come to an end? And when am I when producing When you stop the playing the game, it becomes straightforward. You're clinging to a sense of self. Mm. You're not Japanese, you're not Jewish, and you're not gay. Mm. These are all phenomenon. All phenomenon are empty. They have no substance, absolutely no substance. Mm. But we feed them and maintain them as if they're real and we're going to get some satisfaction. All phenomenon, in the end, will not satisfy. The only satisfaction is manifesting your true self. Being straightforward, direct, open, and honest. That's the only satisfaction. And then listening to what you brought up later on in your lecture, I'm realizing that all of what I'm doing is manipulations are connected to what you brought up about what's natural. We are born, we start to grow, we age, and then we get sick and then we die. Every single manipulation, even from the picking up of the water glass, 
I'll look and see that I'm trying to stop that natural course mm -hmm. of events mm -hmm. because that is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, falling for the whatever man, straight gay, whatever it is, trying to make this happen, drinking the glass, picking up the way I'm holding it, I'm concealing my desire to stop the natural course of old age, sickness, and death because I don't, ego doesn't like it. And that's the most weird thing about it all is that something natural has become my enemy. Yes. Or the Buddha manipulated people. His manipulation was natural because it came out of his true nature. He couldn't help himself. Mm -hmm. He had no other opportunity, no other possibility, but to manifest what he had to manifest. Oh, so now I'm seeing the difference. So the girl in the movie with the pregnancy, fake pregnancy with the boyfriend, the reason she wants him to stick, to stay, is because she's afraid inevitably, deeply, of old age, sickness, and death. We don't want to be left unloved at those times. So what you're doing is different because you're bringing us to it not from a position of fear of the old age, sickness, and death. You're bringing it to us from a position of wanting to liberate us from old age, sickness, and fear of old age, sickness, and death. Except you. I know. Well, I've, <laughs> I've gotten on your bad side a couple of times. It actually is extremely simple when we look at it. Absolutely. I mean, just trying to avoid the basic Absolutely. truths the Buddha gave us about old age, sickness, and death. And how every single thing we do is to twist and escape from that reality. You don't hear the use of the word God or love too much in... Zen practice, simply because they're words that have been really twisted and corrupted. Mm -hmm. You hear people, priests and ministers saying, you can't know the mind of God. And then you immediately follow you up that up with what God wants you to do. They tell you the mind of God. There's a great contradiction. And we've corrupted love into, into, it has no meaning anymore. It's not real. But when it is really functioning, you know it. Hmm? You know when you're manipulating and trying to turn love into lust, and you know when what you're putting out is true love. Hmm? The odd thing for me, if I experience of real love, is that most often I find it insulting and irritating because my ego is so entrenched in the behavior that I'm used to doing, which is to suffer, that when I'm, it happens with you mostly, because you're the one who really has no qualms about delivering it. And I get so angry at you and insulted by it because it's real and it's slicing through ego. So in other words, <laughs> the love that I was taught was love growing up was warm and soft and cuddly. And I'm not saying real love can't have that, but most often real love is slicing through severe stubbornness because I keep reinventing that over and over again that's what and I also find that hard to believe it's like I look in the mirror and hard to believe like I'm the dark queen from Snow White it's like we laugh at her and all those other characters but I definitely got that aspect while I was watching that movie and watching that woman manipulating the girl it was infuriating <laughs> mm. <laughs> and then when he looked in the trash. And the nice thing was how the guy responded. He said, stop it. 
I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to be sucked into your game. That was the kindest thing he could have done. He started pleading his whole to just shut up. And he walked out. Yes. <laughs> <coughs> when I hear you talking about uh, manipulation, two things come to mind. Uh, first is the agenda. If I'm trying to manipulate somebody, and certainly have in my life, if I have a hidden agenda, then to me that's not, then I'm not being open and honest and direct. Mm -hmm. I believe your agenda is not hidden with us. You're not hiding something. In fact, you're doing the opposite. You want us all to come out. And the other thing is, the only one that I'm really manipulating all the time <laughs> is myself. There you go. There you go. And that's unnecessary. That's absolutely unnecessary. And ironically unavoidable too, though. We have to be aware of that. It's well, the good news is all your games are going to fall apart anyway. The good news is that as part of the ego is its own demise. That's the difference between Rinzai and Soto. With Rinzai, there's the emphasis on pushing, and you got to make an effort. With Soto, it's just sit back. It's inevitable. Your enlightenment is inevitable. But each one has its own fault. The Rinzai's become too militaristic, and the Soto's become too lackadaisical. The ego has two natures. It's either frenetic or apathetic. Mm. That's why the Buddha talked about the middle way. I think my point was that if we are in existence, which we are as human beings, we're going to be involved in manipulating. Now, don't put the connotation of negativity on that. We're going to be involved in Soto Rinzai. We're going to be involved in passive, active. We're going to be moving things around. Am I moving things around in the course of suffering, or am I moving them around in the course of end of suffering? We're always manipulating. You walk in the room and you fought. You've affected the whole room. Mm. <laughs> Even if you don't fart, <laughs> you walk in the room and you affect that room. Your There's presence. a change has taken place. Your presence changed the room. There's the story of the anthropologist who went to study an Indian tribe. And the conclusion was, she can't really find out what the Indian tribe is like because her presence changes the dynamic of the Indian tribe. Her being there changes the Indian tribe and she doesn't see them as they are without her being there. Mm. Hmm? <laughs> see, that brings up a very interesting question for me is now, we've talked about all this phenomenological stuff. Now, what is presence now? Presence seems to be something that's not composed of components seems to be something that's indestructible and unending. Real well, now presence. you're getting metaphysical. Mm -hmm. Which is okay. Which is, I think, the way you're really pushing us the whole time to get to, is to start to see what actually is this presence we're talking about. That's a true well, there is this other energy that's omnipresent. Mm -hmm. You look at a corpse. What's missing that previously animated that corpse. 
there's some force, some power, some energy, something is now absent. What is that? When I came back from the hospital, I said, now I'll present my best teachings because I'm demonstrating that the inevitable is inevitable. You grow old, you get sick, and you die. And that's the state I'm in, right? That's perfect. That's just absolutely perfect. And when you get comfortable with that, you begin to see things that you don't see when you're in resistance to that situation. Hmm? When you see through death, there's a whole new world that opens up. One, what opens up is the fact that you better take a look at things because it's coming your way. Hmm? I used to say to my father, there's a bus down at the end of the street and on the top of the bus it says death. Between the time it gets here and now, what are you going to do? And he had no response to that. What are you going to do between now and the time that that death bus gets to your front door? The thing that I find difficult to understand is the thing you brought up to us about your breathing was up here since, since going in the hospital, so mm. it's a certain height. What in us makes us say that's unacceptable? In other words, you've been practicing working to break through that because some part of that is unacceptable. That's my conclusion. I'm summarizing that. What does that to us? Is, is that breathing being... That's fear. The, the breathing being stuck here is fear? The, everybody who starts Zen reaches the point where they find that their breath is stuck right here. That's a gatekeeper. You're being asked, do you really want to go down into this and take up this new kind of life or not? And you will either break through that or get away from the practice. So what, what, what was the fear for you? Is that, that you're getting, mm -hmm. What was the fear for you that you're getting old and dying and you don't want to deal with it? I haven't figured that one out yet. Mm -hmm. But what guides you to do it? Ego or true nature? What guides you to want to get through that? Huh. And what puts it in place in the first place? That cough that I couldn't get rid of. Is the cough a dysfunction or is it wisdom? Well, obviously it brought me to the point where I broke through. So what looked like an ailment, a sickness, mm. was in fact the motivator to get through that. So when Trungpa describes that every breath is not taking us closer to our death, it's taking us further into eternal life, this is why we're teaching ourselves to go into eternal life? Not you, we're not going into eternal life. We're smack dab in the middle and we're not going to get out of it. Okay. Because it just seems like there's a hell of a lot of mess that we create or that's created. That you create. The, okay. Your body, let's use you because you're the big teacher. Let's use, I mean, you are going through so many different things. Why on earth do we do that to ourselves? For our own enlightenment. Meaning enlightenment for eternity or what? Well, that's all there is, is eternity. Mm. I was having fun last week in ways that a lot of people wouldn't consider fun. And 
because of some of the things I was playing with, I wanted to thank you for something that you had said to me a long time ago, and I fought, resisted, hated, and now I'm looking at it going, oh, for fuck's sake, again, the guy's right. And, <laughs> and it's got me kind of smiley listening to Tony. And what I was looking at is, I have no choice at all about anything. Go ahead, fight, resist. Think you're doing all sorts of stuff. You don't. It's all outside of your control. You have none. None. Even the choice of socks you put on this morning. Sorry, pal. Sorry, no. And the more that I allow, whether I... And even there, there's a joke I allow myself to accept that there's a freedom. And I'm trying to remember, I heard an argument being made by a guy who's an atheist. He goes, look, one of the best things about being an atheist, it takes all the pressure off. You don't have to do anything anymore. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa. How hard am I trying to accomplish something somewhere, set it up for eternity, set it up for next week, set up so I have the perfect dinner set so when she shows up that the bathroom floor is clean. I'm setting something up somewhere down the line with a hidden agenda. I'm, I'll be blunt and honest with you about a certain part of it, but there's another part I'm not. And even that is completely out of my control. Free will is a joke. Oh. He's very relieving. <laughs> What's that? He's very relieving. So at that point, what do I do? I drink tea. <laughs> no, you don't. Somebody made you drink it. <laughs> and I thank you for that. It took me a long time to start to see it. I know I haven't fully grasped it. I've gone through the same thing with Suzaki. And it always end up, son of a bitch is right again. Son of a bitch. Why was there fear? Because there had to be. There was no choice. I don't like you. You had no choice to say that. <laughs> wait, I had no choice to say that, you said? Absolutely. You said it. I can't wait to see my married friend again. You said it, then there was no choice. <laughs> oh, I'm dying over here. Absolutely. May I respectfully remind you of life and the death are of supreme importance. Time swiftly passes and opportunity is lost. Each of us must strive to awaken, awaken, take heed. Do not squander your life. Sangha relationships become complete. May my Zen center flourish.
Thank you for the teaching. Thank you for the teaching.